golf and rock and roll. Not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going. We will fall to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4, in the house, Holly G, along with the best caddy on the planet, Rich B. Fresh off of the uh, detour. The ECC championship? Ah, oh, it was just terrible. And, hey, it was car paths only, and you got to lug your clubs out to the middle of the fairway. Ooh. A lot must of have slogging. Wo- that must have really worked those old knees of yours. Yeah, a lot my- of slogging, a lot of griping. And? How'd you do? I didn't do too bad. I mean, I uh, just didn't uh, make any putts. You know? No I putts. Mean, that's what it's all about. If you can't putt, stay home. As I always say, if you can't putt, stay home. U.S. Open wrap-up, congratulations, Justin Rose. Speaking of somebody that was having, well, not having trouble putting, the putts just weren't dropping, and that was Philly Mick. You know, uh, I could see the headline, Philadelphia. You know, uh, if he would have won, it would have been a great for Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, six-time runner-up, I, I, you know, I don't know how he's going to you know, make sense of that. That's just a tough one right there. He said it was uh, a heartbreaker. Uh, Rich B in the press conference afterwards. Yeah, he's got the lead after 54 holes. And just playing, you know, unbelievably. He said, you know, he he was striking the ball well, loved the golf course, great setup, one of his best chances. And uh, it shows you how tough this game is. You would have thought Phil had it in the driver's seat. Well, you know, a major, you never have it in the bag. But after that eagle, you thought, mm, you know, a little bit of the fairy dust Seemed like it was coming down from the sky. And then he just blisters a wedge on that little par three, and it just, uh, I don't know how you explain that. That's just Air uh, mails it. Yeah, it's just such a momentum killer. And it's just, you know, so very few birdie holes out there. But, uh, you know, you know, runner-up is still a good accomplishment, but I think he's got to be over the runner-up thing. Well, Justin Rose, a tremendous, tremendous uh, guy, very popular on tour, good friends with fellow now major champion uh, Adam Scott, and the first European, or I should say the first Brit to win since Tony Jacklin back in 1970. So this is this is big time. It is, and they wheeled out a couple of the old guys there. Did you see that, uh, David Graham? From uh, way back, you know, back in the day. Yeah, they had a big and, U.S. Open past champions dinner. And, they, you know, they it's so cool because they have such a great history there at Marion. And they actually have a library with uh, the whole, you know, uh, history of golf and, you know, such. And, and, you know, that's what's cool about the U.S. Open. They they do. They open up the history books and they kind of take a look back. Well, and all, the, you know, the, the great stories about Ben Hogan and, you know, the shot on 18 and Justin hitting that unbelievable drive. I think they said the fairway is 23 yards wide at the neck there on 18. And he just, you know, hit a just a beautiful tee shot. And then that four iron in, 
you, know, you almost put in the hole. You know, it kind of scooted, scooted just off to the just fringe. Missed. And then hits that beautiful little three. Hey, and almost sinks the almost sinks the putt from the fringe. There's a good uh, shot. Now that's another shot that you can try uh, when you're at your local club. You know, when you're uh, working on your short game, try that one. That little three wood bump and run. Uh, you know, it's it's very effective, and you know, it's good because of the green speeds that we play at. They're not quite as fast as what these guys are playing on, and you know, you can get the ball to roll out, and uh, it's a great shot to have in your bag. We talked about. Florida's own Billy Horschel last week. Whoa. What about those pants, Rich B? Bad pants on Sunday. Know. The uh, octopi. Is that the fashion faux pas of the week? Oh, my That's God. That's our fashion moment. I don't know. U.S. Open. I get that they were blue and white, and he mixed a little red in there, you but know, hey, I'm not sure not that's... Everybody's into calamari, you know, stuff like that. Forget it. Nah, I'm, uh, I'm not a big octopus I'm not sure that's man. the red, white, and blue combo that, um, you know, the, U- the USGA with... would be sporting. Lobsters, lobsters uh, would there be a cool uh, picnic baskets, anything but uh, octopi. Tiger now. out with an elbow injury. We're going to be talking a lot about the U.S. Open tonight, having our little wrap-up with some of our best golf insiders Todd Lewis coming up, as well as Bob Herrig from ESPN.com, and Dr. Gio Valenti, who uh, known right now as one of the hottest, hottest sports psychologists uh, on tour and in the country, and uh, very much part of Justin Rose's team. Started working with him in 2010, and we're going to get the chance to talk uh, talk with Dr. Gio, who we've had on the show before, but really get into what was the mindset, what was the whole strategy. Gio Valenti sounds like uh, an Italian pop star. Hey, I'll tell you what. He was just voted Golf Magazine's top 40 under 40, so he is he is a rock star in the mental side oh of the game. My. And we got him here on the Golf Insiders. Hey, Rich B., you know, I, a little interesting tidbit. I'm out playing golf uh, yesterday. No, not. Monday, sorry. <laughs> At a golf course that will rename, re, remain nameless. But, you know, in the world of marketing, which you know is my real day job, um, I saw something I have never seen before. I'm playing with Darren DiCarlo from Perfect Club Golf Company, and we come up to the second hole, and on the ball washer, I note a little plaque that says, in memory of Mary Blah Blah. <laughs> I will not say the real name. And I just lost it. I, I could not. A, a ball washer with a in memory of plaque on this it. This is where our producer uh, comes in with a ba-boom. Come on, where's Are our... Are you serious? Da-da. So then, yeah. as we kept going around the golf course, we realized that all the ball washers had little plaques Black on up. them. and uh, But the rest of them said, you know, it's sort of like adopt a highway, I guess. <laughs> adopt a ball washer, courtesy of. and uh, But poor Mary, hers was in memory of. Uh, Rich I can't B, believe you're spending valuable time. If for some time. crazy reason I go before you, which I would <laughs> oh, hope yeah. could oh, never yeah. happen, um, you know, I'll tell you where to put my plaque, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. That is just one of the most priceless things I've seen. But apparently maybe they didn't quite have the budget at this course to buy the ball washers. Anyway, uh, we digress. But, hey. There's great stuff coming up on the Golf Insiders tonight. As I said, Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel coming up next. You're listening to 740 The Game. We'll be right back.
quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. I really hate to lose. Asking forgiveness. Got the struggler's blues. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4. In the house, Holly G, along with Rich B. U.S. Open wrap-up show. Justin Rose. Go, Rosie. Congratulations. And uh, Rich B, the While We're Young campaign for slow play. You must have been loving that. I know you get on your rants about slow play. You know, that's a beautiful thing that they're, uh, put, you know, running this thing up the, uh, you know, it is premier, you know, TV uh, time. time for uh, the golf world. And, you know, for this to, uh, you know, go public at this particular time, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's still the beginning of the summer. People don't want to play slow, and uh, I think it's awesome. Good for the game, and yes. uh, great stuff. The, I, I'm not even sure which is my favorite, the one with the kids and Tiger Woods at the miniature <laughs> yeah, golf course, yeah, or some... did you see the one with Clint Eastwood and Arnie? Yeah, 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 Clint, I love Clint that. Clint giving him the make-my-day look, you know, while we're young. Oh, it was priceless. <laughs> but speaking of priceless, a man who was just working his tail off and looking good always as he does it, looking good himself, Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. On the line. Hey, Todd. Hey, guys. How are you? Awesome. Well, to say it was a Hogan-esque finish by Justin Rose, uh, just an amazing tee shot on 18, the four iron into the green, and then the three wood almost holing it out. What a finish. And I know you talked to him right after the win. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, if you if you pay attention to... Justin Rose's career path since Royal Birkdale back in 1998 when he finished tied for fourth as a 17-year-old, you kind of sense this coming. This should come as no surprise. Um, When Justin Rose turned professional after that Open Championship, um, I I think if you'd asked him then, by the time you were 32, I mean, you just finished tied for fourth at the Open Championship. By the time you are 32, how many majors do you think he'll have? He probably would have said three or four. Um, but now he, he picks up his first. Um, but, but he, you know, he went through a little bit of a valley. As soon as he turned pro, he missed 21 consecutive cuts, picked himself up a bit, uh, got his first professional win in 2002, unfortunately the same year that his father died, um, comes to the United States and decides to make the United States basically his primary resident. He went on the PGA Tour in 2010, and then after that he starts progressing. He wins twice, actually, regular PGA Tour events in 2010, the first being uh, the prestigious Memorial. And then he wins a playoff event, and then he wins a WGC event. Now he's won a major championship. So all of his wins have been going in the positive direction. Now his next step is to go as a multi-major winner. But um, he's a great ball striker, one of the best on tour, wonderful swing that seems timeless, and a, and a great maturity and a good head on his shoulder. Um, I, I mean, I, I think this is, this, is one of, uh, this is one of several, I think, that Justin Rose will at least be in contention for moving forward, and I would not be surprised to see him with three or four major championships by the time he hangs up. Yeah, I believe wasn't it was at Royal Burkdale when when he was seventeen playing. I remember that tournament actually. I mean, it was. people were yeah. really fired up about him in terms of you know his potential. Well, it, it was especially then because uh, at the time there was really no great English golfer. I mean, and now you have Lee Westwood and you have Luke Donald and you know Ian Poulter. And so, you know, this was an English golfer that was, you know, wow, I mean, this is the new superstar. Uh, and that's what the media is guilty of. I mean, the next big thing, we're always looking for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a prestigious win 
for him to do what he did on 17 and 18, in my opinion, the two hardest finishing holes in the history of the U.S. Open was remarkable. Hey, that's uh, that's was a three in a row for uh, Lake Nona or something. They they've got quite a uh, little cabinet, uh, you know, trophy cabinet working over there at Lake Nona. Uh, three U.S. Opens in a row. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, what is it, Graham McDowell? And who else? I'm drawing a Graham, Yeah, and Justin Rose, both of them uh, from Lake Nona. <clears throat> well, yeah. Well, I'm. Mean, Good for them. Yeah. Well, and first, first <laughs> Englishman since uh, Tony Jacklin to win. So, and he obviously joins a prestigious club of Englishmen to have won a major amongst the likes of uh, of your uh, compadre there, Nick Faldo at the Golf Channel. So this is this is big for Europe, and of course, um, you know, being at Medina, we all know that Justin. I mean, certainly Ian Poulter was a catalyst for that uh, big uh, charge on Sunday, but. Justin Rose beating Phil, he made some clutch putts there at the Ryder Cup, so it showed that he he had uh, he had some teeth of the dog there. Yeah, I mean, again, this is no surprise. As I mentioned, I mean, he's been in these situations and he's he's succeeded at these situations. I mean, he doesn't do it all the time, but he's he's definitely learned from his experiences. And now, you know, he's mimicking Adam Scott's career, a young prodigy who who had all this great potential and it took him a while to get it. They're both 32 now. They both have a major championship and. And as we move forward, I think they're going to be in the mix of a lot more major championships. Now the question is, how is he going to deal with this elevated stature he has on the world stage? Because the expectations for him externally are going to be great, but I think they're going to be, knowing Justin as I know him, I think they're going to be equally as great internally as well. So we'll see how he handles uh, the next major championship. We'll see how he handles this week when he plays the Travelers Championship. Well, especially after you've been on David Letterman and you've done, you know, the top ten. That's uh that's elevated status right there. But he, he handled it pretty think, well. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna cause a shank from him this week. I think he'll be okay. Speaking of which, I've had Stricker in my family pool, thought this is his time, Todd. And having been someone that has suffered a bit over the last few years with hitting it on the hosel, oh my gosh. Yeah, I talked to Steve after his round. Uh, I think it was on live from the US Open um uh, Sunday night. Um, and he just didn't trust the swing on number two. Um, he, you know, he, I asked him, I said, was this nerves? He said, yes, there's a, there's a big component of it. Um, but he, you know, give him, give him some bit of credit. He didn't just completely fold. I mean, he did fight back. Um, and he really wasn't out of the tournament until those closing four or five holes. Um, but yeah, it's disappointing for Steve. I mean, just as much as there's so much sentimentality towards Phil Mickelson to win the U.S. Open. You know, I understand that, but, but Phil has major championships. Phil is in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Steve Stricker is a great professional. Steve Stricker has 12 PGA Tour wins. I mean, I tell you, if you want a model uh, of a, a great PGA Tour family, it's him and Nikki and their kids and what they do together. And, and you could not find a kinder soul on the planet. And, and, I, and personally, I, I, I mean, I don't like to root for anybody, but I, I'll just say this. I wouldn't have been upset if Steve Stricker was holding that U.S. Open trophy at the end of the day. So it's a tough one. I mean, he's 46. You know, he's definitely in the, the late fall of his career. But he's in that situation, and, you know, he, hopefully he's learned from it. He's not going to play the Open Championship, so maybe at the PGA Championship he can get himself rested mentally and physically and be in the mix again. Yeah, and considering that he's reduced his schedule, they talked about that, being the family man that he is so that he could spend a little more time with his kids as they're getting older. Um, I, you know, boy, I was rooting for him big time. And, you know, he is just so uh, honest and sincere and, you know, basically said he was shell-shocked. I, I was surprised, but he, you know, said, uh, you know, when he hit that second second shot, or what I think it was his fourth after the out-of-bounds, 
But as you said, he, you know, really fought back. But it was so surprising because he seems always to be so steady in those situations. Yeah, again, um, it wasn't a bit surprising. I mean, it's a, it's a surprise anytime you see a PGA Tour professional hit that shot like he did on two. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, again, I think he turned, you know, he could have gone in two directions. One, he could have just folded like some other players did when they hit a bad shot. But, you know, he mentally hung in there and tried to, you know, keep himself in contention. Um but, you know, definitely we, we, we're not fitting Steve Stricker for a professional coffin yet. I think he's got a lot. I think he's got several, a couple more wins in him because he's just too good of a wedge player and too great of a putter for us to say that Steve Stricker's done. No doubt about it. Another great interview you had. Um, and, you know, he's just so gracious in these positions. Phil, after, uh, after the tournament, uh, really said it was a heartbreaker for him. Yeah, I didn't actually uh, interview Phil after the Sunday finish. Uh, I was grabbing Justin, but uh, I will tell you the interview that I had with him Saturday night that it kind of you know raised my antennas as to what Sunday. Uh, Phil said to me emphatically on camera that uh, I'm hitting it the best I've ever hit it in my career, which again is saying a lot considering he is in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Which is great. That's great confidence. But he also said I'm in the best position for the tournament that I covet and cherish the most. Now, that told me, I mean, a little bit, and actually came to fruition on Sunday, that he might press really hard on Sunday. He wants it too much, that he, he can't get out of his own way. He may not be relaxed enough. And, and let's be honest, Phil Mickelson has made, his, has made his living with his wedge game. And what he did on 13 and what he did on 15, I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't know if he and Bones just, just – didn't figure out the distance on 13 or if he was trying to hit a shot that obviously didn't work. And, yeah, and I mean, air, air mailed the green. Well, the interesting thing is I heard during the conversation on, on NBC, uh, him and Bone say that they came to agreement that the distance was 127, hit it 127, but the actual distance was 121. Now, I don't know if he was trying to hit it 127 and spin it back, but that was, you know, from that pin placement, that would have been a very difficult shot to hit. Uh, so... Very surprising because you make a four on that hole, that scoring average on that hole was around two and a half. So you lost about a stroke and a half to the field there. And, you know, that ultimately cost him. Talking to Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. And it just shows how, you know, tough it is, especially in the majors where, you know, the pressure is just ratcheted up on these guys. Many of them actually, you know, sharing that in their interviews, which I thought was, you know, very refreshing. Uh, And a couple of them even blaming themselves, including Phil, for, you know, a couple of the bad shots that he hit. Uh, you know, he was all over the cup, uh, you know, just made a lot of great putts. And, you know, it just shows, uh, you know, one or two shots. You got to get it, you know, you got to get it home on 18. Well, it shows one of the biggest things that I think people who play golf understand it, um, especially at that level. And, and winning is hard. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard, especially today, um, globally, uh, on the highest level. <laughs> I mean, this is an amazing statistic, and the last 19 major championships have been won by 18 different golfers. Wow. And, and the only guy who's won two of them in the, those last 19 is Rory McIlroy, and, and he was you know, bending his pitching wedge on number 11 on Sunday. Uh, and, and of those 19 major championships, Tiger and Phil haven't won any of those. So it's hard. I mean, it's so deep globally with great golfers right now. And secondly, unlike basketball, football, baseball, hockey, or any other team sports, those sports are reactionary. I mean, 
you you sure you can sit out there with nobody on you and make it and try to hit some jumpers, but you throw people in front of you in defenses and so on. Well, in golf, it's just you, the ball, the dirt, and the hole. And the only person that can stop you from having success is you. And so it's it's not easy. And so I I've seen all these guys on this highest level now for being at the golf channel for a number of years, and I understand that the pressure comes from more internally than it does externally and there's a lot of fear of failing uh out there you know don't screw this up don't screw this up and 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 that's hard to win especially when you got so much competition as it is around the world a couple of questions before we let you go todd um luke donald surprise there that he you know it didn't play better what were your thoughts on luke's play well i i don't know what's going on with luke luke was you know two years ago was was you know number one in the world Number one in the world is winning money titles on both tours. Uh, he's just a fraction off, and again goes back to what I was just saying. If you're just a fraction off at that level, then you know you're going to get gobbled up. So, you know, Luke's got a little work to—he's got a little work that he needs to do on his game. So, I, you know, I, you know, I, I just think he's just not as good as he was two years ago. And news today that uh, Tiger's got an elbow injury and will not be able to play and defend in the AT&T. Do you think that was a key problem in his play over the weekend? Or, you know, again, the putter with the, you know, the different conditions, weather conditions and the greens changing up. What are your thoughts there? Well, obviously the rough is incredibly, it was incredibly thick in Marion. I mean, I played there five weeks prior to the U.S. Open and I was scared I was going to, you know, knock out a vertebrae with my swing when I hit it in the rough. Um, it was brutal. It was brutal. The only thing I don't understand is that Tiger said he injured his elbow at the players, and he didn't. I, you know, he won there, and he didn't talk. He didn't mention make mention of the elbow there, and then he went on to play the Memorial. He didn't make mention of the elbow or swing. You know, his elbow, and you know, like Rodney Dangerfield did in Caddyshack, saying, "Oh my arm." So I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I, you know, I, I but I don't have, I'm, I don't have a medical degree. I haven't examined Tiger, so I'm just going to have to take him for what he's worth. If he's hurt, he's hurt. So you know, we'll give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Well, it, it looked like it was hurting on Thursday. He, up, he had a couple a of shots out there that were uh, pretty, you know, that looked like they were, they were stinging badly. Yeah, I, again, I, yeah, I, it, it looked that way. So, you know, hopefully he'll be back. It sounds like he's going to be back for the Open Championship, and he's going to miss his tournament. I, I think I will say this about Tiger. Tiger, that, the AT&T um, event at Congressional means the world to him um, it, because it benefits his, benefits his foundation. Um, and if he's not playing in it, then you know, obviously it's going to it's going to it's going to hurt the gate there, which ultimately hurts the money that goes to his charity. So, I I, I got to believe that he's hurt. I don't think that this is anything dramatic, and and you know we hope that he gets gets better soon because you know and rest up for is, for the Open Championship. And golf is better when he's playing in it. Absolutely, and golf is better because of the Golf Channel and the great coverage wall to wall during the majors. And Todd Lewis, we appreciate you spending time with us as always, and great job, buddy, all week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Golf Insider 740, the game. Stay with us, Dr. Gio Valenti. Up next. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, that's my job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play a pebble, won't pay the price. I love my muni, I think it's nice. It good to just make 
We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house. Holly G and Rich B. Good to just make par. That was the theme at Marion and the U.S. Open this weekend, Rich B. Grinding. Par was good. Grinding it out the whole way around. You know, and you said something very important uh, a little bit earlier about uh, Steve Stricker's uh, good play. You know, he could have folded up the tent, you know, but as a true professional... You know, you can't mail in any round. You know, you, you you'll feel just terrible after you leave about your poor performance, and um, you know, and it'll really do a job on your head, which is a nice segue into our uh, Mr. Uh, our next very yeah. very special guest. Um, he is currently one of the hottest gurus in golf. He is a professor at our very own Rollins College in Winter Park, and the mental game consultant to the golf. Channel and Golf Digest was recently named by Golf Magazine as one of the top 40 most influential people in golf. His uh, resume here is just unbelievable, Rich B. And he has been key to a number of victories on the PGA Tour recently, including Justin Rose, who he's been working with since 2010. Uh, in terms of uh, the mental side of the game, it is a great pleasure to have Dr. Gio Valiente on the line with us. Hi, Dr. Gio. Hey, guys. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. I bet uh, your phone has just been ringing off the hook. Um, you know, just congratulations. A, a big win here with with Justin Rose. Well, thank you very much. We're, uh, we're no doubt very excited, especially since, you know, Marion or any U.S. Open really is a test of the mental game. So uh, since that's what I do, it uh, it certainly feels pretty good. Well, I happen to be a, a connoisseur of the mental side of the game, both, uh, you know, the mind-body what? connection. Especially dealing with my co-host here, Rich B. It requires a lot of mental preparation, Dr. Chio. <laughs> but um, I happen to pick up on the fact that on a number of holes, I saw Justin closing his eyes, seemed to be doing some sort of visualization, maybe, you know, just getting control of his breathing. Can you share with us a little bit of what was going on? Because, you know, this guy was dialed in and focused, and it proved to be, you know, the key to the championship, especially as tough as those last finishing holes were on 17 and 18, particularly 18 where, you know, the fairway is something like, what, 23 yards wide, uh, to, to hit that 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 tee shot and then make that beautiful four iron shot. Tell us what was going through his head. Sure, you know one of the uh, one of the things that we've been working on really for a couple of years is what I call the fearless golf routine, and, and that's the name of the book that I wrote is Fearless Golf, and my website is fearlessgolf.com. So we have a, what's called a fearless golf routine, where I essentially ask my golfers, in this case Justin Rose to do the exact same routine before every shot. And and so when he's closing his eyes, he's focusing on, on going through that exact process so as not to get distracted by all the, the pressure of a major championship. Yeah, that's such a great point because, you know, as they showed on 18, as he's hitting his second shot, there was at least 20 camera people behind him. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, just that alone is just nerve wracking. But I mean, it's kind of annoying in a way as well. But the amount of focus that uh, Justin showed and pulled off the perfect shot, you know, is is uh, obviously Remarkable. is uh, you know his ability to concentrate, uh, you know, in that 
situation is uh, is really, really good. Well, you know, Ben Hogan said about uh, the one iron that he hit at Marianne, Ben Hogan said, you know, I didn't hit the shot that day. I've been practicing that shot in my mind for years. And it's the same with Justin. All the rehearsal that we do, you know, we do to prepare him for moments like that. So as much as it was a huge clutch shot, um, he was prepared to hit that. And in fact, he had hit that in his routine and in, in his mind a hundred times before. We're talking to Dr. Gio Valiente, sports psychologist based right here in Orlando. I've got one. Can I ask him one more question, Nate? G- Gio, doctor, you know, I, I, I'm a senior, uh, you know, and I'm playing uninspired golf right now. I mean, I don't know what it is. Is there a five-minute fix, doctor? Uh, I mean, is there something, you know, just... Uh, well, when you say uninspired, are you yeah. talking about low motivation or just yeah, bad, you know, I bad mean, results? I, you know, I used to be able to get myself fired up for some of uh, these events, but now it's just, you know, like I can very easily kind of lose my concentration. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the, the... There are two things, for anyone who's interested in golf, there are two psychological things that the game attacks over time, and, and those are confidence and motivation. And I tell all my golfers that above all else, uh, above all else, you have to protect your confidence and your motivation. You know, golf is a very emotional game, and it takes us on these roller coaster rides of highs and lows. And you know, once we've been on enough of those roller coasters, well, you know, we get a little burnt out. And uh, one of the things I recommend to all my golfers is you, you got to get time away from the game. You know, the reality is this puritanical work ethic where you think, oh, I'm playing bad, I just need to work harder. That's not really true in golf. Golf is a game that rewards when people take a break from it. You always hear Tiger Woods after a break say, you know, I'm going to wait until uh, I want to hit balls again, and then I'll wait a whole extra day. So that's a really good policy. Take a break from the game. Then when you feel like you want to come back, make yourself wait another day or two and then start. You're going to find that, that that once you're motivated again, you're actually able to feel the positions in your golf swing a lot better. You talk about being a mastery golfer versus an ego golfer. Can you share more about that? Well, that's uh, the main psychological thing for all golfers. And it boils down to a simple question, which is, why do you play the game? And when we ask thousands of golfers this question in, in, in surveys, we, we come to find out that there's, there's one of two answers. You either play golf because you love golf or you play golf because you love the rewards or the attention or the accolades that come with good golf. And those are two very different types of motivations, the difference between intrinsic or extrinsic motivation. And a mastery golfer is someone who plays because they like to learn, they like to improve, they like to work, and they don't really get bent out of shape over a bad result. Whereas an ego golfer who gets embarrassed when they play bad, well, they've just got no chance to get better long-term. Now, here's the question I've been dying to ask you, especially now that he's had six runner-up finishes. If you had a chance to sit down with Phil right now, Dr. Gio, what would you tell him? What would you work on? Well, it's exactly a follow-up to the question you just asked me. You know, Phil has always been a bit of an ego golfer. He's, He's no doubt very talented and and um, he does some wonderful things, but the reality is he sort of has always liked the spotlight. And and sometimes when he melts down, you can tell it's that he's just a little too aware of his own of his own standing. And I would probably teach him a couple of strategies to, to quiet his mind so he can get more immersed in the moment, 
you know, and not think so much about the result. Do you think perhaps that was um, an issue in, uh, I think it was hole number, was it 13, Rich, where he hit the wedge over? I mean, he just kind of airmailed. It looked like he'd made a big mental mistake. And again, on 18, even though he didn't have the driver in the bag, he pulls his Frankenwood, his souped-up three-wood, and, you know, hits it left into the rough, and he was lucky to have a shot. But, you know, again, with, with Phil, it was one of those crazy rounds, three bogeys, two doubles, one eagle, one birdie, up and down all over the place. Wouldn't you want to kind of level that out a bit, Dr. Gio? Well, and, that, and that's the reality. That's what I do. One of the things I pride myself, all my golfers, whether it's Matt Kuchar or Justin Rose, I pride my golfers, I pride myself on the fact that my golfers tend to be very consistent players. There's not a whole lot of, rant, you know, swings and fluctuations in performance. My golfers play consistent, steady, fearless golf, which is, again, you know, why I named my book Fearless Golf, and that's my website. It's just that's how you play golf. You've got to approach it fearlessly, but also with a steady composure to, to allow that consistently good play. And you've just released your second book, correct, called um, I, Golf Flow? I did. Yeah, a 10-year study about when golfers get in the zone, you know, and every listener who's listening right now has had those rounds of golf where everything comes together and the game feels effortless. And that is, uh, that's what I did a 10 year study on. And the new book, which is called Golf Flow, is about uh, golfers in the zone. You and Sean Foley, probably the two hottest guys out there on the tour. Golf Channel called you the guru of the year. That's a big title, <laughs> Dr. Geo. And you're right here in Orlando. That's awesome. Guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. And I love your show. And I love anyone who loves. Uh, the game of golf. So thank you so much. All right. Check out Dr. Gio's website, Fearless Golf. You want to get better at the game? He's the man. You're listening to the Golf Insider 740, the game. Stay with us. Bob Herrick from ESPN.com coming up next. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing. And then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so lean and mean. I got good eyesight, I'll be all right. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4, wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk. Holly G and Rich B, and we're going to one of the biggest dogs in the business. He's been working his little booty off. Mr. Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Hey there. Hey, Bob. Good to hear your voice. Justin Rose, um, what a victory. Hey, the top top four. Orlando's own. The top four official world golf rankings. Tiger Woods, Rory, Adam Scott, Kuchar. Where were those guys over the weekend? (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that uh, picking winners and and figuring out who's going to do well is tough. I mean, especially That's why we got that Ouija board, the golf Ouija board in here. <laughs> I mean, the top three, especially, were really really stinkers. Struggled. I mean, Adam Scott was right there at one point, and and then like you know played like a like a five handicap guy, you know, struggling to you know just struggling to make pars and. Uh, I think that's the kind of the way that golf course, um, you know, it, it lent itself to that. I think if you were just a fraction off, uh, you you ran the possibility, ran, ran the distinct possibility of really struggling. And, you know, we saw that with a lot of guys, actually. 
Uh, Phil, very forthcoming in his press conference afterwards, called this heartbreaking, just a head-scratcher again. But it also proves, you know, when we were talking about this all hour long, how, you know, the majors are just a whole nother, you know, whole nother cut of the professional tour and how these guys just have to manage the adrenaline and, you know, the nerves coming in. We're even getting out of the getting out of the gate like Steve Stricker. Hello. Yeah, in, in Phil's case, um, uh, it was a uh, you know it, it was it was really a, a shame because he played so nicely uh, and and really was was in that position. I mean, let's throw out the bogey on the last hole where he was you know trying to do the impossible, almost chip in from in front of the green. You know, basically lost by one stroke. And look at all the putts he missed. Um, you know, he, it, and, and I know guys struggle putting there. Justin Rose had 30 putts on Sunday. It's not like he putted lights out. But, but you know, Phil, Phil had 37. 37 putts. And he, and he also had some close in putts. Um, you know, uh, I'm missed birdie on 16, right? Yeah, that was an eight or nine footer on, on the second hole, which is a par five. He had a beautiful bunker shot that, that almost went in, had about four feet and missed it. On the third hole, which was, you know, the one that he was upset about, the, the par three that was playing like 270 into the wind, um, you know, he, he three-putted. Uh, you know, obviously he put himself in a tough spot, but, I mean, you just can't three-putt. He three-putted the fifth. Uh, you know, and then, of course, what happened on, on 13, uh, you know, uh, missing a green from 120 yards, uh, it's just inexcusable. I mean, you you you, you take it all away. You you really kind of have to boil it down to that. Uh, you know, Justin Rose ran in about a 30 40 for birdie there, which was fortunate for him. Great, you know, but he was on the green and gave himself a chance, even a par there for Phil. Uh, and he goes to the last hole tied. You know, is that simple? And and uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure he's having he's had some sleepless nights this week. Absolutely. I think that, you know, they talk about owning the moment and, and Justin Rose sure did coming down 18 with those just amazing three shots and almost, you know, holding it with the, with the three wood off the fringe there. A couple of players we haven't talked about yet. Um, and a guy that, man, what just, he's got a great attitude and now has, I believe, three seconds and a third, uh, in majors. Jason Day. He sure shows a lot of game in these majors. What I'm wondering about is why he doesn't win more. You know, he only has one tour victory. Um, he's clearly got a great game, great talent. He's an excellent ball striker. I mean, he's got to be to be in contention in these majors like he's been. And and you know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to knock anything he did on Sunday. He gave himself a great chance, and I know he bogeyed 18, but you know, 18 was brutal. I mean, he's just one of the most you know, if I probably if I had a quibble with the USGA, it would be that I, I think a hole is too hard when nobody makes a birdie for over 36 holes. I mean, that tells you something. Something's amiss there, the way that was set up. I mean, that's that's almost flukish. You know, I mean, you'd think somebody would luck into one, uh, a long birdie putt or what have you, or holding out, and it didn't happen. But Jason Day, no, I mean, here we are again. It was a great uh, performance by him and. You know, I would just like to see the guy break through and win a few more times. Uh, it, it, it's kind of mystifying how he's 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 done so well in these big tournaments, but he hasn't won anything but one time. We're talking to Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. And I think that brings up a question about, you know, do you look at the world rankings or, you know, the times you're 
been in contention in a major. It seems, especially with the, you know, you look at the Masters, you look at the U.S. Open, that, you know, some of these guys just put them in, you know, seem to be able to get themselves in position. Um, and yet they're not necessarily the top guys in the world rankings. No, I mean, you know, the world rankings are obviously, uh, you know, they, they take into account the whole year, and and there's some tournaments that have almost as many ranking points as majors, you know, um, depending on the field strength. Uh, you know, you, you can certainly argue that, you know, the, the field of the U.S. Open and the British Open is not as strong as the Players' Championship. So when a guy like Tiger wins the Players' or, uh, or even the European Tours flagship event, which gets uh, special dis- dispensation, you know, guys are getting more ranking points at tournaments that aren't as big. And so it kind of skews things. You know, it doesn't necessarily it, – it, it's a guide. It gives us something to go by, but it doesn't necessarily um, – uh, you know, it's not the, the, the absolute truth as to who's the best in the world. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, because you, you, can, you can win a tournament uh, that's not got a great field and get a lot of world ranking points and – uh, you know, we see that all the time. And, I, you know, I, I've, I, this has come up here lately with Tiger's struggles of late. You know, is he the best player? Well, you know, who if he's not, who is? Um, you you kind of have to go by winning, I think. And, you know, Rory is number two in the world and hasn't won in six months, seven months. So uh, it, that there, again, kind of points out some of the deficiencies with the system. Hunter Mahan. Thought maybe it could be his time, and uh, you know the the gauntlet at Marion kind of ate his ate his lunch as he was coming in those last holes shooting seventy five. Yeah, four over the last four holes. I mean, he I think he was tied for the lead on the fourteenth or thirteenth, and uh, you know it's uh, it's tough. I mean, he he was playing with Phil, who was the obvious favorite, and you know those finishing holes were were brutal. The fifteenth hole. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a hole uh, where out of bounds is literally a yard off the fairway. It, it, the, a, a yard or maybe two yards to the left of that fairway was was OB. And that has to really get in your head because, you know, you, you could hit a pretty darn good drive and skip out of bounds. You know, you're, you're, you're five yards, you, you hit one, it kicks left, it's OB. And so I think that really got into guys. And so a lot of times they hit it to the right and, and that hole was very tough because of that. It was looking a little bit like arena football. <laughs> you know, as yeah. tight as tight as the acreage is at Marion, but um you know, it it uh, really tested the precision of these guys' games as Johnny pointed out a few yeah. times, and Johnny that's Miller. How the, the USGA likes to see that uh play like that as well. I mean, if there's uh, four holes and you want them on the last four coming in, you know, uh, 18, 17, 16, 15 playing is difficult as possible they love that stuff no question i mean as much as they say it's not about score you know how could it not be about score when the winning score was won over and there was all these all this talk about um a venue that that might yield a record score based on the fact that it was so soft and relatively short i mean they tricked that thing up pretty good uh, a lot of tough pins um you know, very, very narrow fairways, curving fairways, brutally difficult rough. Uh, and of course you had two par, two par fours that were over 500 yards that were, you know, really, really hard. And of course you even had a par five that was over 600 yards. So a classic. It was, um, 
Yeah, it was a, it was quite the venue. I thought it held up great. It's a great course. You know, there's questions about whether or not it's really viable given all the other things that a golf course needs today. Uh, but if you took all that away and just talked about the golf, it was pretty good. A historic and classic U.S. Open. Bob Herrig, thank you so much. It was a great television, Rich B. And in the end, a great champion, Justin Rose. Classic, classic winner, classic game, great, great champion. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Golf Insiders will be back next week.